Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Oh, that's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. Uh-oh, we got some trouble on the home front. I will tell you what's happening and how we can stop it. This economy, it's not affecting everyone the same. We aren't all in this together. I'll show you. And finally, sports, they are definitely not back. Oh, that's coming up right now on I'm Right. 
You know, I've been married 14 years, maybe 13 years. It might be 15. I'm not sure. I haven't been paying attention to all the dates. But here's what I do know. A long, long, long time ago, before we walked down the aisle, this pastor, we had to do these pre-marriage counseling videos of the pastor. And he gave us a bunch of advice, and it was all very good and helpful. But the one piece of advice that he gave that was the best thing I ever heard in my life and has proved to be the most truthful thing I've ever heard is don't talk about your spouse to other people. Don't have a bad fight with the wife and go call your buddies, go golfing with your buddies. Ah, she's nagging away. What a witch. You're venting to someone else. You're not venting to her. Word travels back. Bitterness sprouts. And ladies... You have a bad night with the old man, forgets to take out the garbage or whatever. Do you tell him? Do you keep it to yourself or do you call your mom? Mom, he's such a lazy dirt ball. Oh, don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this. You see, one of the most important things in life, period, country, politics, business, marriage, whatever it may be, is to keep inside the house problems inside the house, which makes things very difficult when that house happens to be white meaning the White House. You see, here's what we have. We have a pandemic. We have an economic crisis. We have a president very, very, very much opposed by the American media. So what have we done so far? Well, every day we've had President Trump getting up there, or pretty much every day, giving these coronavirus speeches, giving these coronavirus press conferences, taking questions. Then he has the doctor stand up there, Dr. Burks. Then he has Dr. Fauci stand up there. And they're taking questions, and it's very open and honest. Hey, this is our task force. Everything's going fine. The problem is, well, the media doesn't want it to be fine. The media, we know this. I'm not saying this to just be anti-media guy. The media wants Donald Trump to fail. They want Donald Trump out of office. They're 95% Democrat. We know this. The numbers are in front of us. That's what they're working towards, specifically. If Donald Trump was to keep the economy locked down, they would spend every waking moment pointing out all the economic damage and saying it's Trump's fault. As soon as Donald Trump opens up this economy again, which he's going to have to do inevitably, they are going to take every single coronavirus death and turn the volume up to about 100 on it. 100 on it. Why? Because they think that makes Trump looks bad, look bad. And there's something else they're doing. They're turning the house against each other. They're turning Fauci against Trump. They're turning Trump against Fauci. They'll do the same with Burks. And how are they pulling this off? Well, because somebody was unable to keep all the complaints inside the house. The complaints stay here. You don't tell your boys when you're golfing. You don't tell your mother-in-law about it. Meaning stop putting Dr. Fauci on the Sunday shows. Stop putting Dr. Fauci on the cable news weeknight shows. Dr. Fauci can shut up, go back to the lab, and figure things out. But you keep rolling Dr. Fauci out there. The media is going to take any little five-second clip from it they possibly can to show dissension in the ranks, and they are going to make that problem worse. Dr. Fauci goes on TV just the other day and says this. Do you think lives could have been saved? Uh if social distancing, physical distancing, stay-at-home measures had started third week of February instead of mid-March? You know, Jake, again, it's the what would have, what could have. It's very difficult to go back and say that. I mean, obviously, you could logically say that if you had a process that was ongoing and you started 
Mitigation earlier, you could have saved lives. Obviously, no one is going to deny that. But what goes into those kinds of decisions is, is complicated. But you're right. I mean, obviously, if we had, right from the very beginning, shut everything down, it may have been a little bit different. But there was a lot of pushback about shutting things down back then. Obviously, that clip doesn't sound that bad to me, right? What's he supposed to say? And I'm not up here saying Dr. Fauci is some patron saint. The truth of the matter is, if you want to be an honest broker about all this, the guy's gotten about everything wrong. I understand he has a long resume, and that's fine. I'm not saying anyone else could have done better, but he's gotten a lot wrong. He was right back there with everyone else in February. We've got him on tape saying, ah, go on a cruise. You're fine. And now we have him saying, well, I mean, millions are going to die. Well, maybe 100,000 are going to die. All right, maybe 50,000 are going to die. So, yeah, he's got some stuff wrong, but I'm not doing some anti-Fauci campaign. What's he supposed to say to that? You've left him a bind. Why? Because you're putting him on the shows. You know what they want when they ask Dr. Fauci to come on the show. When you're asking Dr. Fauci to come on the show and you're CNN or you're NB or NBC News or any one of these other groups, you're specifically wanting him to come on the show to make Donald Trump look bad. There is not a second agenda. They're not asking the guy to come on the show to, you know, just get out the new voice, just get out the voice of the American people. We're just trying to inform. No, everybody knows what they're doing. Whatever they can do to make Donald Trump look bad, that's what they're going to do. And Dr. Fauci has become that guy. Stop letting him go on. So of course Donald Trump takes this tweet and blasts it out there. He sees the same clip everyone else sees. The tweet was, sorry fake news, it's all on tape. I banned China long before people spoke up. Thank you. And of course that tweet that he quote tweeted had a fire Fauci hashtag. Whether or not the president realized that, I don't know. But it got back to him, didn't it? You see, as soon as you're letting the problems get outside of the house, as soon as you send the good doctor down to CNN to do an interview, well, almost inevitably, these people are professionals. They know what they're doing. They're going to get the soundbite out of him that they want, that anti-Trump soundbite. Our president watches the news, clearly, a lot, spends a lot of time on social media. That clip is going to get back to his ears, and now you've got a problem. And now... What do we do? What do Donald Trump and his task force do? Tell me. I want to know the path going forward that doesn't look ugly because here's what he's going to have to do. He is going to have to open up the economy again at some point. We can argue about the dates. We can do that thing where we argue again about how long it was closed down. We don't need to belabor that point today. At some point, as president, he's going to have to stay. Okay, we got to get back to work here. Come on, everybody get back to work. When he does that, with everything he's said so far, do you think Dr. Fauci is going to be standing right behind him saying, you're right, good job, Mr. President, we do have to get back to work? No. There could be a resignation. Trump could fire him. How does that end? It only ends one way. Once word starts getting outside of the house, it ends one way, and that way is ugly. We know how this ends. This ends with Dr. Fauci on his anti-Trump, how I tried to save America book tour on every single news show, destroying the administration as we try to pick up the pieces from this fallout. It's the truth. Look, look at the press. Donald Trump went after the New York Times and said this, quote, the New York Times story is a fake, just like the paper itself. 
I was criticized for moving too fast when I issued the China ban long before most others wanted me to do so. Sec Arzot, Sec Arzer, that's not Arzot, Sec Secretary Arzer told me nothing until later, and Peter Navarro's memo was the same as the ban. See his statements. Fake news. It's going to be combat now. When he opens this back up, it's going to be combat. Every death on Trump. The economic damage on Trump. Now, that's the way it is. So if you know that, don't hang the doctor out to dry. Even if he is in your camp, and I don't know that, you don't know that. You're putting the guy in a bind and yourself in a bind by letting him do it. But Trump knows. He's got to reopen and it's going to be a tough call. I think it's going to be the toughest decision that I've ever made. You know, I really, hopefully that I ever will have to make, but it's certainly the toughest decision that I've ever made. And I hope that I'm going to make the right decision. I'll be basing it on a lot of, a lot of very smart people, a lot of professionals, doctors and uh, business leaders. There are a lot of things that go into a decision like that. And uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be based on a lot of facts and a lot of instinct also whether we like it or not there is a certain instinct to it but we have to get our country back people want to get back they want to get back to work we have to bring our country back and uh so i'll be making a decision reasonably soon we're setting up a council now of some of the most distinguished leaders in virtually every field including uh politics and business and medical and we'll be making that decision fairly soon good Glad. Let's get her open back up. Let's do it the right way. Again, Dr. Fauci was asked what he thought about it. When you say get back to normal, it's not going to be a, a light switch that you turn on and off. It's going to be differential and gradual depending upon where you are and where the burden of infection is. But the bottom line of it all is that what we see looking forward it is very likely that we will progress towards the steps towards normalization as we get to the end of this 30 days. And I think that's going to be a good time to look and see how quickly can we make that move to try and normalize. But hopefully, and hopefully, by the time we get to the summer, we will have taken many steps in that direction. That's fine. It's fine. It's not the best. But why is he out there saying it? Why is the president out there talking about the steps he's going to take to reopen the economy? And then you have Dr. Fauci out there talking about the steps he's going to make to reopen the economy. This is playing with fire. And I'm telling you, it only ends one way. It's the way it is. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. Now, you go to sleep at night. You know what you go through, right? Same thing I go through, especially now. You lay down, and what do you think to yourself? Oh, uh, boy. Uh, well, we got school tomorrow. We got to, I got to try to teach the kids algebra, and I have to do work from home, and the walls are closing in on me now, and gosh, I just looked at the bills, and uh, oh, shoot, I have to remember to call my mother, and this thing won't stop going, and that's why you can't sleep. It's not the temperature of the room. It's not you don't have the right mouthpiece in. It's not that you didn't take enough drugs. The bottom line is you can't turn this off, and that's why you can't sleep. Well, until now, EbbSleep's about to change that. They're about to change all that. And if you go to tryeb.com, that's tryebb.com forward slash Jesse, you will get 25 bucks off 
an ebb. Now, what is it? It's something you put onto your head, not in your mouth. It's not a pill you take. You put it onto your head, and it keeps that area cool and stress-free, meaning you get to sleep faster and stay asleep longer. Look, we all know sleep is tough to come by at this point in time. Stop talking about it. Stop agonizing about it. Stop putting drugs in your body. Use a clinically proven thing. Tryeb.com forward slash Jesse for 25 bucks off. We're all in this together. How many times have you heard this over the past month? I hate that phrase. And I understand lots of times when people say that phrase, they do mean well. They do. They're, they're trying to encourage you and pump you up, and we're all in this together. But here's the truth of the matter. We're not all in this together. We are not. Some people have been wiped out. Some people's life work has been wiped out. The Hollywood actress in her mansion with her servants around her is not in this with me. She's not in this with you. The politician handing out edicts right and left. You're allowed to do this. You're allowed to do that. You will close your business. You must do this. That guy hasn't missed a single paycheck. The political pundit, like me, that gets to go on camera and gets paid to give opinions that's telling you, shut up, just social distance. Don't you care about grandma? You want old people to die. Stop being selfish. Well, that's really easy when you're doing Skype interviews from your home and the paychecks keep coming. But these people, the people I'm about to show you, um, they're not in this with me. They're not in this with the pundits. They're not in this with the politicians. They're not in this with the actresses. Here's the food bank line in San Antonio. Oh, yes, this is real. They feed about 60,000 normally per week. Now they say they're up to 120,000 per week. Their food requirements have doubled. Have doubled. We have doubled the requirements of a food bank in three weeks? We're not all in this together. You're not eating caviar and in this with those people. Here's the CEO. All food banks are struggling to keep up. Our, our inventories are going fast, and so um, the, the best would help is to, to make a financial contribution. Uh, the, the volunteers have really been amazing. We are in need of more volunteers, um, knowing that they're you know working on the front line, putting themselves at risk has been uh, humbling to see, but they want to make a difference. And so I would just challenge anyone that's watching to reach out to their local food bank, to volunteer, to make a monetary contribution. And um, you know, we hope that we're gonna have enough food um, to meet this need. It's really gonna be in a need of a public-private partnership. We, we hope that the federal government and state governments lean in on this crisis. Hopefully they do. Hopefully you do as well. If you can, if you're able, I guarantee your local food bank needs help. They need hands, they need money if you've got them. Now, here's the truth of the matter. People will choose, lots of people, not everybody, of course, people will choose to risk a virus to go back to work. That's the reality of it. It is. Who are we to say that they're not allowed to do that? I'm not under the impression at all that President Trump and the governors and the mayors could stand up there behind the podium tomorrow and say, all right, we're all open for business. Pack them in the football stadiums. It's concert time. It's not realistic. It's not. 
people are by now so scared of this thing. They've heard the millions of death and community spread and everything else. However accurate that was, none of that matters. The bottom line is a lot of people do believe that. So they'll take the proper precautions, and some will stay home, of course. But how many people would go back to work? The answer is most of them. Not all of them, of course. Some people will enjoy unemployment. That's just still human nature. Some people are so scared of the virus. That's fine. But the person who wants to go down and put the open sign back up on their small business, don't they deserve that right? Don't they have that right? Forget about deserve. Forget about what should or shouldn't be. Is any of this legal? Is anybody even talking about that? I mean, every time I happen to bring this up, you know what I get every time? Well, it's a national emergency. Jesse, you have to understand it's a national emergency. This is a time of a national emergency. Really? Who gets to determine that? How long does that last? Is that even constitutional? What if I get elected president next year? What if I say, screw it, I'm running for office and I get elected president? And I see, well, shoot. There are some locusts down in Argentina. Those locusts could very well come here. In fact, we just saw some locusts in Texas. Sorry, everyone. National emergency time. Go home. I'll be sure to issue some guidelines on, guidelines on who is and who isn't allowed to earn a living. Is that who we are? Are we that now? Are we a society of suburban mom snitches? putting up Facebook posts, complaining about teenagers playing basketball in a park, calling cops on our fellow man. We have governors and mayors telling citizens to report on each other. We have cops shutting down churches. But look, I'm not making this up. This is church services. This is happening right now, right now in the United States of America. Churches are adjusting because of social distancing they're holding services where people will wait in their car or buy their car and pastors will stand out front and worship the Lord. Until the cops come? <laughs> Police in Kentucky, they went around Easter Sunday. This is Easter Sunday. Cops went around dropping notices on everybody's windshield. Is that okay? Pastor in Florida had the cuffs slapped on him. Actually had a warrant issued for his arrest. Had the cuffs slapped on him for having a church service. Does national emergency cause all your rights to go away? Because I've been told, I don't know if you, about you, I've been told my whole life that those rights are God-given. Now, I don't know if you got the word, but I didn't get the word from God that they are all taken away now that we have a virus just seems to be a little heavy-handed, right? Look, let's just be honest. Let's be real frank. Eh. A lot of people are enjoying this. A lot of people. While you lose your livelihood, while people lose their lives, there are a lot of politicians, pundits, cops, who are getting off on this whole thing. It's obvious. And don't even bother arguing with me because I can see it with my eyes. When you have the governor of Kentucky stand up, as he did, and threaten before Easter that anyone who goes to uh, church service on Easter will have their license plate taken down and be forcibly quarantined for 14 days? That happened? Don't tell me they're not getting off on it. Oh, they are. 
They're sitting back living high on the hog because they're finally the little tyrants they've always wanted to be. It's a fact, and you know it's a fact. All right, now, let's talk about another fact out there, and it's called Omega XL. The truth is this. I don't like putting things into my body that aren't natural. And I don't like the fact that there's no vaccine for coronavirus. And I don't like the fact that even the supposed treatments for coronavirus are untested. What if I were to tell you there's a different way? What if I were to tell you if you went to Omega XL slash Jesse, you could actually get free stuff? Yeah, you see, it's a natural supplement that you take that boosts your immune system. For all the vaccines they talk about on this drug here and this treatment there, you know you have the best treatment to fight any illness in the world right inside of you? It's your immune system. And Omega XL boosts it, makes it stronger. Think of it as a weightlifting program for your immune system. Omega XL slash Jesse. Do not forget about that. Slash Jesse. You'll get a second bottle free with the purchase of your first, bo first bottle. Omega XL slash Jesse. Joining me now with some Washington expertise is the first contributor and writer to the Washington Examiner, Tiana Lowe. Tiana, I think Trump is making a huge mistake with all this Fauci mess, not by hiring him or taking his advice or whatever. I've already been honest about all that. By allowing him to go on all these cable news shows all the time, cable news shows that he knows are going to try to drive a wedge in between Trump and Fauci. I think they're just asking for trouble. They're asking for drama that doesn't have to be. So on the one hand, Fauci is a consummate professional. I trust that he isn't politicizing this, and he's served under so many presidents. At the beginning, it was really important that Fauci was sort of doing this charm offensive where he's going on, pardon my take, on Barstool Sports and calling into local radio shows, trying to get as many people on board with social distancing. That was extremely important. Is it still important for him to go on CNN, where, as you said, you already know that they're going to try and just sow more dissent between Fauci and the president? Probably not. And honestly, if CNN doesn't want to air Trump's press briefings, where Dr. Fauci and where Dr. Burks and where the actual experts are giving advice, then why give them the interview? Yeah, that's what I don't get. What, what do we get out of giving them the interview? I mean, I... Maybe Dr. Fauci is, is choosing to do this on, this on his own. I have a hard time believing the president of the United States does not have the ability to control him and stop him from doing that. It just makes all the sense in the world. Honestly, it's the craziest thing. I can't wrap my mind around what you're thinking, allowing Fauci to go on, because he didn't even say anything that bad in that interview if you look at the context of it. But in any interview, he's going to say enough, just like he did this time, where you can carve out 15 seconds and make it look like he's needling Trump in the back every chance he gets. And now we have Trump on Twitter, I mean, kind of blasting away at the guy. I just think we're asking for trouble. Shut the guy up and hide him in the White House. But then again, this is what Trump himself does. He continually bags on the New York Times, calling them fake news, calling them corrupt. And who is the first person he calls whenever he wants to vent? Maggie Haberman. So Trump doesn't have a lot of discipline when it comes to icing out networks that he doesn't like. So I, it, it's hard to expect that he would know what to do with Fauci, especially when Fauci's intentions obviously are pretty earnest in the sense that he does just want to uh, flatten the curve and get as much public information out there as a matter of health. 
it doesn't help that so many in our media are flagrantly bad faith actors. How did it get that way? I mean, you are back there in the belly of the beast. You've, you've, you've been around. How did it get so bad and so hackish from a media standpoint when it comes to the establishment media types, cable news, you know, NBC, all these things? How are they all Democrats? Do Republicans just not go into this racket you and I are in? So obviously, you know, living in D.C., the overwhelming majority of other reporters who you meet are already from the Beltway or from New York. Um, yeah, it's, course. I mean, if you just look at the financial limitations of going into journalism, most people who survive in journalism already had a pretty hefty parental safety net. It's not something that comes with a lot of profit margins. Um, so as a result, journals tend to be really privileged people. I'm not going to fault them for that. That's not the issue. The issue is that then it becomes an echo chamber. You know, I mean, we already saw today the White House Correspondents Association, they announced that it's very, very, very important that they postpone, not cancel, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. No matter that by August, we don't know what the coronavirus death, death toll will be, they still have to make sure they all celebrate each other. I've got this issue with some of the language I've heard from the pundit class, and this is why, and look, I understand, I'm part of that now, I, I get that. But there seems to be this massive disconnect between the people who are who have big platforms. I mean, it's you and I. We have we can write. We're on TV. We're on the radio. We we can write. And there's about 99% of that class from both parties appears to be saying, "Shut up, get back in your house, hide under your bed." And the things I hear from everybody else is, "This is madness. I'm losing it all. What are we doing?" And this divide, which is always there, seems to be going this way quickly. Are you seeing this? Well, it's certainly, it isn't even just polarized in terms of industry, it's polarized along the coasts. So I'm originally yeah. from California and there was no love lost between me and California state governance. But it's incredible if you look at the difference between how California, both on a local and state level, handled the coronavirus versus New York versus the Beltway area. It really is monumental. A lot of it was just in California, people took very, very early social distancing measures there's been a lot of deregulation, so medical students can treat patients. They're very much on a path where you have San Francisco, which is the second densest state or second densest city in the country, it successfully flattened the curve. It has almost no coronavirus fatalities. Compare that to New York, which is right now dumpster fire. So I do think that because all of these these reporters do live in D.C. and New York, they have a very inflated sense of what the crisis looks like right now. We're not denying that if everyone went outside and lived life as normal that there would be massive casualties and that it would be a tragedy. But right now, we have to grant the people some credence. We've done a good job thus far actually flattening this curve. The worst jobs were done in New York. And so, but when you are locked in either the Beltway or in the Manhattan bubble, in the Manhattan reporting bubble where things really are that bad, it's easy to think that right now we are on the brink of the apocalypse. Tiana, people love sexy. They love flashy. They love things that, you know, are easy to wrap their arms around. And one of the hardest things to wrap your arms around here, and it's not sexy, is debt and deficit. And we are staring at, I mean, look, I went to community college, but I'm crunching some numbers here. And I think we're about to jump from $1 trillion deficits, which are disgusting, to $3 trillion? $4 trillion? I don't see how we can be facing anything else but that. Again, I know this isn't the thing anyone wants to talk about right now, but we're going to chuck even more money at this problem. We have a whole new crisis coming. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's just today the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget announced that this will be the first year on record that our national debt uh, outpaces our GDP. Uh, we're looking at the highest debt to GDP ratio since World War II. And this, and this is all before coronavirus, you know? The fact is, if you are a leftist Keynesian, if you believe in the grandfather of economic liberalism, you are still supposed to spend against the wind. Save when times are good, so that way now, when we're telling all these Americans, you can't go out and work, then we can give out cash grants to people. But we don't do that. And that's how we wound up with a $22 trillion debt that's definitely going to be 23 or 24 by the time the year's out. Tiana, you're one of these math nerd types that knows all this stuff. How does that end? In all seriousness, let's say nobody gets their head on straight, because I have no faith that they will. Let's say we just keep churning out the printing press and spending money we don't have. End that for me with your fancy education. So there are two tracks that this goes down simultaneously. For one thing, um, we have Trump, who is just like Bernie in the sense that Trump wants negative interest rates. And to quote uh, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon, unless if you were had a gun to the head as a company, you would never issue out a negative interest rate. You would never pay people to borrow money from you. But that's what the federal government has made it clear that's what they want to do. That's what the far left wants, and that's what Trump wants. So when you wind up having that, at the same time, you will have the banks increasingly less and less eager to lend. And pretty soon we wind up with a credit crunch. As it becomes clear the American government is incapable of paying back our debts, banks won't want to give out mortgages. Banks won't want to give out student loans. And so you're just going to have this untenable situation where on top of the fact that Medicare will crumble because there will be so many rations and forced triaging of care, on top of that, it will just be impossible to gain access to a line of credit and then quickly people start defaulting on debts. It'll make 2008 look like a scab. This will be a mortal blow to our economy when this inevitably does happen, and we know that it will happen. Man, that hurt. I'm buying a bunker after the show today. Tiana Lowe, contributor to the first and writer with Washington Examiner. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. We're not quite done yet. Vice President. Why it's really about to matter for the Democratic side. Hang on. Just wanted to add a quick little tidbit on the show today about something weird that's out there and everybody knows it's out there and nobody wants to talk about how creepy it is that it's out there. Joe Biden's coming vice presidential pick. Bernie just announced he, he's endorsing Joe Biden today. That was the least surprising thing in the world. And now the world is extremely focused on Joe Biden's vice presidential pick. Does that strike anybody as being a bit outside of the norm? I mean, we understand why everyone's focused on it, but does that not say maybe we've screwed up here? I mean, Joe Biden, by his own admission, has <laughs> said, I know the vice presidential pick I pick is important. Well, it's going to be important you know, with the unspoken, especially for me. But wait, what? Everyone has just accepted this as reality? I mean, they're talking about it might be Klobuchar or it might be Kamala Harris. That's the worst kept secret if it turns out to be Kamala Harris. It might be that idiot governor of, of Michigan. But why should it matter that much? 
the president picking his vice presidential nominee is normally about a 24-hour news cycle in any other presidential election I've ever seen. I mean, the person's always there. It's just not that big of a deal, right? Because when does the vice president ever matter? It's the most meaningless, easiest, inconsequential job in history. The fact that uh, Mike Pence is actually doing something right now is what makes it so absolutely rare. The vice president doesn't do anything. He travels around the world on luxury travel, on yours and my dime, meeting with dignitaries, shaking hands here, kissing babies there. He's fundraising for his parties, giving speeches. But he doesn't do anything. And he's not necessarily really expected to do anything. The vice president is normally just one of those people that's kind of there. He's, just, he's a painting on the wall. He's there. You know he's there, but it's really not that important. You can replace him tomorrow and it'd be fine until now. <laughs> and that doesn't seem to be a problem for anyone. All of a sudden, Joe Biden's vice presidential pick is like the most important thing in the history of the world. Wow, I mean, we all see that the guy's, the guy's barely alive as it is. We better make sure we get a good veep. Wait, what? He's not even the nominee yet. Could we maybe... And I, I know it's asking a lot from that party. Could we maybe, just maybe, just spitballing here, maybe pick a functioning adult so you don't have to be so concerned about who's number two if he completely loses his marbles? I can't. hate to put that out there like that, but it is what it is. All right, we have Brigitte Gabriel. Hang on. Joining me now to talk about the border and some other things is the terrorism expert and chairman of Act for America, which is the largest national security grassroots organization in the country and author of the new book, Rise, Brigitte Gabriel. First of all, tell me about Rise. What's this book about? Well, the title of the book is Rise and the subtitle is In Defense of Judeo-Christian Values. And in the book, I talk about how it's a time to stand up for American values, for what this country was founded upon. Most people don't realize those people today who are complaining about Western way of life and our values in the United States, and those who don't see anything good in America. I discussed in the book what made America great. It's these values, the Judeo-Christian values, which Western civilization was founded upon. And I issue a call to, to Americans to rise up in defense of those Americans. American values, whether it's freedom of speech, whether it's controlling immigration and preserving our identity as a nation, as an exceptional nation. And as an immigrant, uh, I obviously immigrated legally to this country, that's a magic word, uh, 30 years ago. You know, I, I crossed oceans to come to America to work hard, to prove myself, to earn the right and the privilege to be able to hold the American citizenship and say I'm an American. So I understand that people do want to come to this country, but they should do it the right way and assimilate the right way to become a part of the American fabric. So that's what the book is all about. And at the end of every chapter, I give three points, three tips you can do under 10 minutes that will make a difference to the country. So I not only educate, but I tell people things they can do to make a difference for the country. What are our Judeo-Christian values and how and when did we stray from them? 
Oh my goodness, I'll start with freedom of speech. You know, most people don't realize, for example, and, and you know, uh, the Bible says, come, let's reason together. So when you're reading the Bible, whether the Old Testament, the New Testament, and, and, and the Christian world and the Judeo-Christian world, we believe in the idea that we both come to an issue from different ideas and different perspectives. And we agree to sit around the table and debate ideas and debate them passionately. You and I may not see eye to eye on everything, but we agree that we have the right to exchange ideas and debate ideas and may the best idea win. And we both agree to walk away from the table respectfully disagreeing with each other and respectfully is a magic word here we got to a point in our country Jesse where we are so divided as a nation that you cannot even debate ideas right now without being accused by the left if you want border control then you are accused of being a bigot if you want uh, uh, to control immigration to our country then you're accused of being a racist uh, if you want to speak about terrorism and where the radical ideology of uh, whether it's Islamism or whether it's communism, it's an ideology. If you speak about communism, for example, right now, if you say the words that the Chinese coronavirus, you are accused of hating all Chinese people. And of course, it has nothing to do with that. Chinese people are good people. But you're talking about the ideology of the Chinese uh, uh, Communist Party which hid the facts and lied to the world, and that's why a lot of people died. So this is what I'm talking about, not being able to exchange ideas and freely debate ideas. We're losing our freedom of speech. When did this begin? When did we start losing it? Is this just one of those things we founded the nation and we immediately started losing it? Is this in the last 10 years, 20 years, 100 years? When did these things start to erode? Because you're right, I see it all around me of, of you're not allowed to say this and you're not allowed to say that. And it's this gigantic shaming society where you're not allowed to say things. I want to know where it came from and when. Exactly. It started... Uh, pretty much after 9-11, before 9-11, even under President Clinton, and even under, pre under President Clinton, a lot of people may not have agreed with President Clinton. We even had Ross Perot start a third party, uh, the Perot party. But people disagreed on issues, but they respected each other, and they certainly respected the office of the president. Uh, when 9-11 happened, and President George Bush at the time started talking about uh, fighting radical Islam in order to protect the country, even engaging, actually under President Bush, he is the one who engaged and started the Muslim Initiative Program, bringing Muslims into our government thinking they are American Muslims. They will work with us on basically defeating this radical ideology and war that has declared on America. But the left in this country, and that's when we started seeing the total split in the country. The leftists and Islamists started working together against the security and the interests of the United States. So if you spoke against radical Islamic terrorism, you are immediately, you were accused of being an Islamophobe. And that's when we started seeing that when the left and the Islamists were not able to debate you on your ideas because the facts were on your side, they resorted to using labels to silence you. Then you are a racist, you are a bigot, you are an Islamophobe. What made this go on steroid is President Obama. When President Obama became elected, he literally put the nail 
in the coffin. Uh, basically, the, he divided the country. Uh, you were not allowed to speak your mind. Uh, as a matter of fact, President Obama took out any reference uh, to uh, uh, out of the threat assessment plan. You know, every president, when they come to power, uh, they issued a new uh, uh, threat assessment plan to the nation, where they discuss what's threatening the nation. Uh, obviously, I'm in the national security uh, business and area uh, of expertise. Uh, President Obama in 2009 uh, purged all references to radical Islam, jihad, Islamism, radical Islamic terrorism out of our counterterrorism training manuals. So even the FBI, even those who are supposed to protect us and the Department of Homeland Security could not even read in their training materials about radical Islamic terrorism or what the ideology of jihad was all about. And so this continued, and the left realized all we have to do is accuse people of names. You're a white supremacist. I'm even called a white supremacist by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Go figure. China, you are a national security person. Clearly, we have an issue. Intentional, accidental, for whatever reason, we have a nasty virus killing people in this country and killing our economy, and it came from China. We know they're here. We know they're aggressive. What do we do about it? Uh, we just need to start applying pressure on our elected officials to investigate China and hold China accountable. Uh, that is so important that our elected officials, both on the right and on the left, understand this and they need to hear from us. Uh, I urge people to go to our website, actforamerica.org, actforamerica.org. We have a petition on our website uh, calling on our government to investigate China and hold China accountable. And we're talking again about the Communist Party of China. I'm not talking about the Chinese people. They pay the heavy price even more than the rest of the world because the Chinese government, the leadership, considers them disposable. So the Chinese government doesn't care how many people die in China. Uh, and this is why China lied about the numbers, lied about the true nature of the virus. And so when the virus spread worldwide, we were not prepared worldwide because we based our understanding of the virus based on what the Chinese were telling us about the virus. And this is why you saw it explode worldwide because China lied and people died. So I encourage people to go to our website, sign our petition, our letter calling on members of Congress to begin an investigation into China and hold China accountable. And I know now that our uh, couple bills, actually almost three bills coming down for a vote uh, in Congress, we will keep you updated. I encourage people to sign up as an activist with Act for America. It doesn't cost you any Thing. We want to be able to alert you when the bills come down for a vote so you will know exactly who to call, what members of Congress. Uh, you can go to our website, type in your zip, uh, zip code. We will give you your elected official's name, their phone number, their email address, a prepared letter for you to send to them. All you have to do is click a button and you can send it to them. All that is available on actforamerica.org. Brigitte Gabriel, thank you so much, ma'am. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me with you, and have a great day. You bet. We're hungry for sports. Well, I guess not all sports. I'll show you in a second. We are desperate right now, and we're desperate for sports. Look, I like sports. I'm not one of these sports freaks anymore, but gosh, football, Basketball, playoffs, March Madness, all these things, they're nice to have as an option, right?
especially when there's so you know, few family programs on now, you can generally throw on a game, especially now that Colin Kaepernick's out. We're so desperate for football, I just heard they were playing Frisbee on ESPN. That's how desperate we are. So, some NBA players, current and former, decided to get together and have a game of horse so everybody could watch. Uh, Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks, Chauncey Billups, used to play for the Detroit uh, Ti- Detroit Tigers. <laughs> used to play for the Detroit Pistons. He's retired. And Mike Conley, Jr. of the Jazz. And Tamika Catchings, she's a retired WNBA All-Star. I didn't know they had those. They got together and played a game of horse, a game of virtual horse. Well, you would think people would just sit around and appreciate a good deed, except for the fact they didn't really do anything but just shoot around. And people, well, to say it missed the mark would be an understatement. This guy got on and said, playing horse, playing horse is barely fun. What did you think this was going to (laughs) be? And another guy said, Trey had all days to prep and always got her lefty free throws, a behind-the-backboard shot, and straightaway threes. The creativity is pitiful. (laughs) You know what this proves? What this proves is we need to get out of the house now because people are getting mean. So that's what you get for trying to do a good deed and playing a game of horse. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. I'll see you. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now, there's a barmaid there, good-looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I Usually my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.